Welcome, I'm Paul Hunt. This is a special feature interview produced for download by Energy News. In this episode, we speak to the executive chair of ASX-listed Melbana Energy. Melbana, listed on the stock exchange's MAY, is one of the most exciting small-cap oil and gas explorers headquartered in Australia. As we'll find out in this podcast, the company has embarked on an exploration program that looks to bring home substantial revenue and shareholders benefits in the short to mid-term. It owns a brilliant asset in Cuba, of all places, and it's primed for growth as it prepares to drill two high-impact exploration wells in the coming months. In this feature, I'm joined by Melbana Executive Chairman Andrew Purcell. Andrew Purcell, welcome to the program. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. Let's start with Cuba, uh, a country not only known for its fine cigars, uh, but perhaps more excitingly, uh, its onshore oil prospectivity. Uh, Your permit, Block 9, it's roughly the size of a small country stretching 2,344 square kilometres. That's bigger than Mauritius for those following along at home. Uh, Andrew, how did you come to acquire Block 9 back in 2015? Well, we get led by our geoscience team. They're a very experienced technical group, many decades of experience, new ventures, ExxonMobil. So their their area where we can value add the most is one of the areas is in heavily folded geologies. And so those parts of the world is where we get led to, you know, PNG, Iran, parts of Australia, Burma, um, Cuba. And so when we had that list of projects uh, to look at in those various jurisdictions we then apply all the commercial filters you know fiscal terms established oil industry security uh, ability to you know get in and out of the country Uh, and on that basis cuba came up well the rest is history what's the history of oil and gas exploration and production in cuba Oh, it's long. It's Gulf of Mexico. So, you know, the original oil fields that were exploited are over 150 years old. I have a, an interesting anecdote I was told by one of the gentlemen in Cuba that there's a, an oil field in our Block 9 called Matembo. Um, the tar from that oil pit was used to pave the streets of Manhattan, which gives you an idea of how far back their industry goes. All right. Um Industry experts believe the entire permit, uh, Block 9, uh, could hold as much as 15 billion barrels of oil. Uh, how is that calculated? Because that would be nearly a trillion dollars worth of oil. To put it into language that uh, perhaps is easier for uh, your readers and viewers is we, we have an oil field just to the northwest of Block 9 called Varadero. Um, that's 11 billion barrels. Mm. Um, when you look at the previous wells that have been drilled in the block uh, that we're operating in and the previous oil fields, you take the seismic lines that exist, you do some other uh, uh, geoscientific studies, gravity, etc. You can you can look at structures, you can map them, how big they are, you can do your volumetric assessments, you can look at where oil's been found and in what sort of rates of production. And, and then the geoscientists put on their pointy hats and come up with volumetric assessments. That's, that's basically the way it's done. Before we get to the operations program uh, upcoming, I, I want to look at Cuba um, in a broader 
context. Why Cuba of all places in the world um, that has oil? I mean, you didn't pick the Perth Basin or, or Guyana, Cuba. Um, what's it like to work in a country like Cuba? Well, we are. Let's put us. Let's put us in perspective. You know, we're a fifty million dollar oil and gas explorer. That in Australia would limit our ability to fields within our financial scope. But what Melbana does and what Melbana has done is we chase elephants you know, for our shareholders. And we, we, we like to leverage our good international connections and our good geoscience capabilities. So by going to somewhere like Cuba, um, where no one, not many companies, when I say no one, there's a Canadian company called Sherit that's been operating there for decades very successfully. To go into the Gulf of Mexico, with, which is a prolific hydrocarbon stone, but which hasn't had the investment and the capital due to various international politics that um, people are probably aware of involving Cuba and the United States, we could get in the door as an Australian company quite legitimately. We could apply our techniques, our knowledge. We could get assigned a very large acreage, very prospective oil. And now we've delivered for our shareholders an opportunity to participate in the drilling of a couple of wells that if successful could be hundreds of millions of barrels of oil now try and replicate that in australia as a company of our size well you don't see that happen often in australia for for those who don't know there's um you you mentioned geopolitics and of course uh the cuban us um strained relationship there's there's no export issues with cuban oil uh is there no export issues from our contractual basis. I mean, the, the deal we have with the National Oil Company of Cuba uh, says any oil we find, we can sell it internationally at international prices. They do have a right to purchase it for themselves, but at those same prices. Your joint venture partner is actually the National Oil Company of uh, Angola. Um, you hold 30% of this ginormous permit. Uh, Sonangol, uh, the remaining 70%, but you are the operator. What's the relationship with, with Sonangol like and, and, and how have you managed that? Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good relationship and one that's developed well. We've been working together for a couple of years now in preparation for this drilling program. And, you know, my, my thanks and respect to Sonangol has only gone up over the troubles we had last year with COVID. Mm. Uh, they... I think quite reasonably could have found any of a number of excuses to have said to us, you know what, in this current environment in the world, let's not go ahead with this project now. And they didn't. And yeah, progress was slower and harder because of COVID. But we are now where we want to be about to drill these wells because of Sonangol, because of their faith and commitment to our agreement and undertaking. So yeah, full tick to them. You're listening to Energy News. Uh, today I'm talking to the Executive Chairman, Andrew Purcell, of Melbana Energy, listed on the ASX as MAY. Uh, let's jump to the uh, next couple of months of operations, or at least by the end of the year. You've mentioned these uh, two high-impact wells. Let's start with the permit overall um, because it has a historic uh, oil production um, there and some old fields, but you're looking at deeper targets. Can you give us a bit of an overview? Yeah, traditionally Cuba is produced from a shallower uh, formations, which uh, has 
delivered a, a much uh, heavier crude, which is typical that part of the world and in Venezuela. Uh, but what has intrigued us about the permits we've chosen to pursue uh, and the targets we've chosen to pursue is the previous wells that were drilled deeper vertically, uh, much below those traditional targets, have produced a much lighter crude, one mm. that has flowed to surface unassisted. So we have formed our theories as to why that is the case, our, our, our geoscience team has. And therefore, what we're doing with our first well is we're going back in and we are twinning, drilling right next to one of those previous wells that tested and recovered oil from those deeper formations of a lighter crude. This will be a game changer for Cuba uh, if, if this is successful. With that first well, um, Alameda 1, uh, how deep is that and what are your targets? Because you've got, uh, I guess, stacked targets, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. We designed a well to go through all the previous intercepts, all the previous offset wells, gave us information on where oils were, and then we could see them uh, on the seismic, as the structures that might have been responsible for those successes. So we've designed the one well to go through three separate structures. Uh, the main one, the main target being the deepest structure at about 4,000 metres, but all the way down, uh, you know, we've got two other structures. So it'll be an interesting well for sure. Just to reiterate and, and make sure that this is clear, these are conventional wells, aren't they? Yep, just yep. straight oil and gas wells. Marty 5 is one of the previous wells that we're twinning with the first well, which is Alameda 1. The second well is Zapato uh, 1, which is the previous oil field that I mentioned, the Matembo oil field. Um, where did the, yeah, that's an even lighter crew. That's a that was you know forty five to sixty API, which is, you know is 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 a very light crude. What's the source of that oil field? No one has looked for it, but under the seismic, we can see a massive structure, which could very well be the the origin of that oil field. And we're drilling straight into that. So it's a bit, it's a bit shallower. It's about three three and a half thousand meters. You've mentioned uh, that not all oil was was created equal, and that uh, often there's there's uh, heavy crude produced. Um, but we're talking about the light stuff. Um, on that end of the spectrum, a high valued crude is is known as light oil. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, it has more uses. Mm. You know, but the heavier an oil is, the a the the difficulty it is to recover it from a reservoir. Um, the Cuban stuff is free flowing, even though it's low API, which is good. But you know, often you have to provide a, a lot of assistance to to get heavy oil to move. And then, as a result, once you've recovered it, it's cost you more. It, it's not worth as much on the market because of the various applications for that type of crude. The refining, uh, you know, uh, opportunities for it are fewer. But a lighter crude is what the market values more. Uh, because it has, uh, yeah, it, it's easier to recover, it's easier to use in a variety of applications. There's more refinery capacity for it, so the prices adjust accordingly. Just to recap, um, you've got a two-well program coming up. Uh, what what are the costs of of drilling both of those wells? They're dear um, relative to Australia, um, but probably you know in the tens of millions not tens of millions each, but each one, you know, more than $10 million US dollars uh, to drill. So it's an expensive drilling campaign, uh, but we're going after a big prize. So mm. the risk return is, is very much worth it. 
Uh, chance of success. Um, this is often where uh, investors and, dare I say it, even journalists sometimes uh, get a little confused. Um, can you tell me the chance of success of your two wells and put that into perspective? Because, you know, anything with a with a chance of success above 30% is generally considered um, quite an economic operation. It's a. It's not for the faint-hearted oil and mm. gas exploration, Paul. It's <laughs> a uh, globally the average. I've I, you know, I've seen figures that the global average chance of success of an oil and gas well is in the low double digits, twelve percent, fourteen percent, something like that. Uh, of course, it varies, but on average. So you know that's the game you're in, and but if you find something, it's like it's. Sherrod, for example, it has been operating in Cuba for 25 years. It's drilled hundreds of wells. It's, it's been producing there for a long time. Until recently, when things for them, you know, their, their contracts ended, over that 25-year period, their, their cost of finding oil and producing oil has been about $10 a barrel. Mm. Right? So that puts chance of success into one bit of perspective for you, $10 a barrel versus you know, current prices. You know, call it 40, 50 long run. Very good margin. Our deepest target in Alameda one is a 32% chance of success. So more than double the global average. And the reason for that, I, you know, I'm putting words into the mouths of my geoscientists yeah. here, but I'm allowed to do that as the chairman, uh, is because there is previous wells that have discovered and flowed oil. So they've take all their statistical analysis, but then they have that nice, confident little bit of comfort that there, there is really what they think is there from all the data. So these are good good risk-return wells um, for oil and gas world, and they're big. So as a part of your portfolio, investing in something like this, you wouldn't put the kids' university funds entirely into oil and gas exploration, but a bit of your portfolio, you can really deliver the alpha, as people like to refer to it in investment world, something that gives you a lot of bang for buck when it works. So uh, Alameda, Alameda One, uh, that has a 32% uh, chance, you said. Mm. Um, Zapati? Zapato is less. It's about 25. Um, that is because we don't have a previous well at that depth to detest the structure that we're going into. But I mentioned earlier the... Uh, Varadero oil field off to the side of our block, the big 11 billion barrel oil field. That was actually discovered on a gravity anomaly. So normally oil and gas use seismic as one of the more predictive tools, and it is so, but there are other tools. And one of those is a gravity test looking for fluctuations under the ground that way. And gravity has identified for us, as well as the seismic, a very large structure in Zapato, uh, 20, 20 plus kilometers across, mm. uh, right, un- right underneath them in a spot where it could very well have been the source for this Matembo oil field. So we want to test that structure, yeah. um, but we don't have a previous well that drilled deep enough to see if that was the source. So a, a slightly lower chance of success as a result, but 95 million barrels, best estimate of what's sitting there, if we're right. 
This is a huge opportunity for uh, a small cap your size. Um, you're mostly carried for the costs um, and obviously stand to reap huge rewards um, should the prize come home. Uh, what does a development look like and what's the export or, or domestic market plan? Well, I'll tackle, tackle both those things in turn. So yeah. for development is uh, a sheer delight after operating and working in Australia where you find something and then you've got a couple of hundred kilometres to traverse or offshore infrastructure that has to be built or piped back. Uh, you know, Cube is an island. Yeah. You know, where we're operating, it's we're 50 kilometres from a, uh, a, an oil terminal. You know, we've got a pipeline, a rail line next to us. We can truck oil. From the moment we found it, but in the long to fund in the long term, the you know the more permanent solution. So, development is from an infrastructure point of view irrelevant. It's mm. just that easy. Uh, from a field development perspective, you know, as you say, it's a massive block, and we're starting with the westernmost best studied part of it to begin with. A success there would allow us to fund for many years. The development of the entire field across the entire block. Uh, so that's the development side of it. Um, Cuba produces about 45,000 barrels a day yep. of oil. It, it needs twice that. And so I would imagine if we're successful with these wells, the Cubans are going to, well, it's a tough decision. It's their decision. You know, we're yeah. going to sell it on the open market unless they say to us they want to buy it. But their, their infrastructure, their refineries, their consumption is all based around their heavy oil. Uh, so if we find a lighter oil, that may be very attractive for them to sell that internationally for foreign exchange earnings and, and then use that funding any way they want rather than try and take that lighter crude, which trades at a premium and use it in their existing infrastructure. Uh, I don't know what they're going to choose to do there. Who are you using to to drill in Cuba? Because I imagine there's only limited rigs, but there has been a company around there who has been drilling for, as you say, um, a very long time, decades and decades and decades. What's your agreement with a drilling contractor? Uh, well, we, we we ran an international tender. We spoke to you know the sort of players that do exist in Cuba. You know, there's French, Russians, Chinese, Canadians, and we we ended up entering into a contract with a Canadian company called Sherit because of a couple of reasons. Uh, one, and the, the main one, they've got well-established drilling infrastructure in Cuba from their decades of being there and operating there. And it is um, probably fair to say, too, that in addition to that capability and experience, there's a cultural familiarity that's a bit easier for Australians dealing with Canadians than uh, with Chinese or Russians, uh, but that that was a secondary consideration. Really, it was capability and cost to begin with. So we're very pleased and very fortunate to have a company of that experience uh, as our drilling contractor. You're listening to Energy News on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube and energynewsbulletin.net. I'm Paul Hunt, Senior Journalist in Mining and Energy Commodities. I have the pleasure of speaking to Melbana Energy Executive Chair Andrew Purcell in this uh, interview. Andrew, uh, when are you going to spud these wells? Well, good question. Our planning is constantly being revised because the world is a very challenging place at the moment. What we have is a expectation to be spudding in third quarter of yep. this year, but 
the world is going like hotcakes out there, Paul. Mm. You know, factories are, are, are running at full tilt and shipping hasn't recovered to pre-COVID levels yet, but demand is through the roof. Uh, shipping containers, this, the humble little shipping container is a bottleneck for everybody in the world at the moment. You can't get them. And when you do get them, you have to get them on a vessel. And then the vessel doesn't sail when it's going to because it's, you know, been paid over for a premium to sail earlier somewhere else. And I've got two guys full-time on logistics. We've got equipment coming in from all over the world at the moment, uh, people as well. Uh, look, it'll third quarter, but, yeah. you know, you've got to put a bit of rubber around that figure. But, it's, you know, the main thing is it's definitely getting drilled, uh, and that's the exciting bit. We've talked about Block 9, uh, Andrew and Cuba, Um but the good news seems to just keep on coming for Melbana, really. Um, you've announced, or you've just announced, really, the divestment of your Beehive uh, project offshore WA. Um, not only has this been a big cash injection, but you've got royalties um, as well. Tell me about it. Well, the the Beehive prospect is one that our Again, our geoscientists have developed from scratch um, back in the day using old 2D seismic and identified something. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting play type. Um, it's, an, it's, it's one that hasn't been tested before in Australia, this, this uh, carbonate buildup. But where this type of formation has been tested around the world, when it has worked, it's worked big. To test this formation in Australia has been a dream of our company for a long time and we've you know we've come close to getting partners to drill you know we did a deal with total and santos back in uh, 2017 and they shot the seismic and then the world went to custard but yes now we've done the transaction with a very capable firm um but the deal was structured in a way because uh, my experience we are the operator in cuba so even though we've got this massive partner we're the operator. So it's good for a little company when married with a big company to be able to control costs, to, to do things little company way. Um, this offshore well, you know, the party we've sold it to is it's a, it's a massive company and they're the operator. And so on that basis, we thought, well, the best thing for our shareholders is drilling offshore. You can have a budget, but you can easily go past that budget. And trying to then keep up in the spend with a, with a major company on a risk return basis. I felt my board felt much better to let them drill it and we'll just be there for the reward when it happens. I feel rather than if it happens, when it happens. Uh, so yeah, a very exciting transaction for us and another well our shareholders get to look forward to next year. The company that you that you've divested this to is an American company. It's twice the the market cap of Woodside. Um, so it obviously, you know, it, it was a very attractive opportunity uh, for them. What what have you come out of it financially with? Oh well, we have a yeah. Upfront, we'll receive uh, about ten million Australian dollars, subject to regulatory approvals. So they're in process now. Um, then. If the uh, well is of interest to them or successful, or they choose to keep the permit, enter, apply for a production license, a couple of more gates, and we'll get another $5 million then, um, US. And then uh, if it's successful, there's a payment to us of 
25 million US dollars for every 10 million barrels found. So it's a, it's a very meaningful interest for our shareholders, given the best case estimate of the volume of oil there is about 400 million barrels. Mm. But as I said, abroad, when these things work, they work big. And so the upper estimate of this field is 1.4 billion barrels. So divide a billion by 25 and multiply by 10, you know, nominally there's $800 million worth of oil there for us if it's successful. And you don't have to keep up with the spending either. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, what's that transaction done to your balance sheet? I mean, as, as you mentioned, you've, you've received um, a payment, an initial payment from um, this company. Uh, where are you sitting financially? Well, we're pretty good anyway. Uh, before this, you know, we received our past costs back from Sonangol under the transaction we did with them for Cuba. That money's earmarked for the drilling program in Cuba. But, uh, you know, we're sitting on a fair amount of cash for us historically, at the moment, but when and and I must say when and if this ten million dollars comes in from the sale of Beehive, but you know regulatory approvals are, are not the most uh, 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 difficult thing to imagine occurring. <laughs> uh, look, that that's that's free cash, yeah, for us. And you know it's an exciting time to be looking for the next projects, and we spend a lot of time looking at the next project. So we've just heard how beneficial the sale of the Beehive prospect was. That's not the first time that you've um, made uh, beneficial transactions like this. There was ACP50 and ACP51 in 2018. What's your stake in those two permits? Well, we had the residual interest stake. We sold it to our joint venture partner in 2018, and if they were successful in farming it out, or selling it, we would get an interest uh, as a as a delayed consideration, uh, and they were successful. I'm pleased to report, and good for them. Uh, they have sold the first block uh, to uh, a joint venture between Santos and Sapura, who will be drilling a well there next year. They've conditionally sold the second block. We have a bit of cash up front as a result of that transaction from them. Thank you very much and a little royalty interest uh, if they're successful. So these wells, our interest in them at least, is, is not at the same scale as Beehive and Cuba, but it's another well. It's a fourth well, potentially a fifth well in our portfolio that our shareholders have an interest in with nothing more to spend. You also have uh, stakes in two adjacent permits to Beehive. Um and we don't know what what the result of Beehive is going to be, but can you put into position um, or explain to us what your two permits, uh, offshore WA, uh, look like if Beehive comes through? Well, whether Beehive does or doesn't come through, we're not sure what the impact it will be on these adjacent two blocks because they both have existing oil discoveries in them, but small. Turtle and Barnett are a few million barrels each of undeveloped oil discoveries. Now, we've done a lot of work over the years in the Joseph Bonaparte Basin or the Petrol Sub-Basin because of Beehive. Um, made sense to have a closer look at these adjacent uh, permit areas. So we picked them up in the last Gazettel round and we're doing work on them at the moment. We'll form a thesis, but you know it's always nice going in knowing that there are oil discoveries there as a hint of you know understanding why. 
One glaring area that we should probably talk about is, uh, which we haven't managed to just yet because we have so much, we had so much to cover, um, is your background um, and, and, and management of Melbana and, and also your board. Can you give us an overview of, of both yourself and, and uh, the management team? Sure, no problem. I'm an engineer, but spent most of my career in uh, investment banking with Credit Suisse here and abroad. Did a lot of resources banking in that time, so I'm more on the commercial side uh, of international finance and transaction. Spent a lot of years on boards for Credit Suisse uh, around the region on resource companies and and industrials. Um, Came back here 10 years ago and and decided to invest in the oil and gas sector, principally because it was so unloved and prices were so so low, but the fundamentals for the long term just didn't gel with that in my mind. Um, The uh, other gentleman on the board I've been with for a number of years since I joined the board, uh, Peter Stickland, is a a geoscientist um, of great experience in our small cap ASX world. Uh, BHP, his name against some big discoveries uh, in his time there. Mike Sandy, also a lot of experience here in the US, ASX companies, oil and gas. So it's a very well-balanced and experienced board for oil and gas exploration. Um, the gentleman, as I mentioned earlier, who are at former GN's geoscience team, uh, decades with ExxonMobil in their new ventures. So good contacts, good ideas. Uh, and I'm repeatedly impressed as to how credible and well their theses are received when we are presenting to large oil and gas companies. But as is evidenced by the fact that we've had agreements put in place with you know, so many large oil and gas companies over the last few years, we, we can do work to a good standard acceptable to these larger firms. Andrew, uh, if there's one thing that you wanted us to take away from today's interview, what would it be? Our four wells, three of which all happening in the near future, testing very large targets, any one of which, were they to be successful, look at the potential value to our company relative to our current share price. For a bit of your portfolio, have a few shares in the back pocket. Andrew Purcell, we are out of time, but thank you so much for joining me. Paul, thank you for your time. It's been good talking today. Andrew Purcell is the Executive Chair of Melbana Energy. Melbana is listed on the ASX as M-A-Y. You can find out more about the company at melbana.com or, of course, by subscribing to Energy News at energynewsbulletin.net. If you haven't already, hit subscribe to the podcast and stay up to date with all the big movements in the oil and gas and renewables industries. Energy News is Australasia's most comprehensive, in-depth and neutral publication covering all aspects of the energy market and projects. We cover policy, operations, markets, law and the broader outlook for commodities. Energynewsbulletin.net. This podcast was produced by Aspermont Limited. News for business. (laughs) 